0: 2 Kings chapter 11. So the scripture reading and the text are the same. 2 Kings chapter 11. In 2 Kings, the word of the Lord reads as follows. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshabah, the daughter of King Jeoram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash the son of Ahaziah and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom, and thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years hidden in the house of the Lord while Athaliah reigned over the land." But in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, Another third being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards shall guard the palace. And two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath, and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar according to the custom, and the captains and trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Asaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason, treason! Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her. And she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priests posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the chariots, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with a sword at the king's house. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing together from hymn 16, the stanzas 1, 3, and 5. Hymn 16, 1, 3, and 5. a congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the surface, the birth of our Savior, and everything nearby that leads to it is often depicted as a rather quaint and heartwarming affair. In the time before the birth happens, there are, of course, angelic visitations, there are surprises for old folks, dramatic tidings for young folks. And there is song, singing, and socializing. There is also surprise and some short-term confusion. Yes, and when the grand event itself happens, there is more interesting stuff happening. A baby is born in a cave or maybe in a stable and put in an animal feeding trough. Shepherds come to visit. Wise men appear bringing gifts. Angels sing nearby. Why, there is drama and excitement enough for a really good movie plot. It's also magical, we would say, and sometimes so marvelous as well. And truly, for many people, even for many Christians, this is a time of year when the only things that tend to dominate their minds are feelings of joy, peace, celebration, and other kinds of fuzzy feelings. I realize, of course, that this year Christmas is celebrated somewhat different because we find ourselves in the grip of COVID. But even COVID will not take away the warm feelings that we tend to experience at this special time of year. And of course, there is a place for all of these things. After all, who wants to be a killjoy? Who wants to walk in the slippers of Scrooge? Who wants to rain on this lovely parade of events and naturally none of us do and yet you know there is, there's more to the story there is, you can also say, and we don't like to hear about that, but there's also a downside and a, and a dark side. There is for example evil King Herod killing all of those young children in Bethlehem. There is that angelic warning that causes the wise men to go home by another route And there is fear and a hurried flight to Egypt for the Messianic family. The full story, you see, is not quite as pretty or as romantic as we so often make it. Yes, and also the story of everything that precedes this event is not always so pretty either. You can say the road to Christmas is a rocky and bumpy road for more than just Mary and Joseph going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Indeed, all of the Old Testament, in a way, is nothing more than a long, dusty, twisting up-and-down road that leads finally, finally to David's city. And it's a road filled with potholes, hairpin turns, rock slides, and near misses. The Advent road is often very precarious and very dangerous. And this means, too, beloved, that, of course, this road is never boring. For a look at the Advent text of this afternoon. What is it about but treachery and murder, calls for extinction, conspiracies, justice, restoration? Oh, and it's about something else as well. Notice what it is that gets the ball rolling in our text. And if you ask, what is it? Well, it's a, it's a kidnapping. It's, if you like, a royal kidnapping by even a royal kidnapper. So you can say, our text this afternoon begins with a crime, a crime that we dare to say even saves Christmas. So I'd like to preach to you on the following theme: the kidnapping that saves Christmas We're going to look at a lady who steals a child at first, then we'll look at a priest who crowns a king, thirdly we'll look at a queen who eats a sword, so to speak, and a people who renew a covenant. So the kidnapping that saves Christmas, a lady who steals a child, a priest who crowns a king, a queen who eats a sword, and a people who renew a covenant. Well, oh, beloved, our text opens with what we call the crime. It's a crime that's described in verse 2 where it says, But Jehosheba, the daughter of Jehoram, the sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away. And take note of those particular words, stole him away, because these, these words refer to nothing else than a kidnapping, a, a violation of both the Eighth as well as the Tenth Commandment. And they refer as well to an offense that actually in Old Testament too is punishable by death. And if you ask who commits this offense, well, the perpetrator is very clearly identified. It's a lady by the name of Jehoshaphat, a royal lady no less, for she is the daughter of one king and the sister to another king. And in addition, this royal lady is also related to the victim, to the person that she kidnaps, because she is his aunt. You see, this is not just a royal kidnapping. It's also, you can say, a a family kidnapping. And obviously then, it's a rather strange affair. What in the world, we ask ourselves, what is going on here? Why does this aunt kidnap her nephew? Why does royalty steal royalty? Well, the answer can be found in verse 1. It says there that when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. So, who is Athaliah? Well, she is the mother of Ahaziah. In other words, she's the mother of King Ahaziah, the king of Judah. And you can read about this particular king in 2 Kings chapters 8 and 9, and about how he is killed as well. In any case, when King Ahaziah dies, his mother, you can say, so to speak, goes off the deep end. She decides to put the whole royal family, including members of her very own family, even her own grandchildren, to death. We might ask, is she stark raving mad? Is she so power hungry? Well, it would appear so. And of course, in the annals of human history, this is not something new To protect themselves and to preserve their power, kings and queens as often murdered others, even the members of their own family. Think, for example, of King Herod. How many members of his own family had he not put to the sword? So there's no limit to extreme human behavior. But still, you also need to understand that power lust does not tell the whole story. For there is more to Athaliah, not only is she a demented queen mother, but she is also a religiously demented queen mother. For consider what we read elsewhere about her pedigree. Who is Athaliah? Well, Scripture says she's the daughter of King Ahab. And she may also have been the daughter of Queen Jezebel. The scholars aren't totally certain about this. Some say she is, some say she's not. But be that as it may, even if she is just the daughter of King Ahab, she already has enough poison running through her veins. And if Jezebel's blood runs there as well, then she is in double trouble. Because for who is King Ahab? Who is Queen Jezebel? Well, we have to say he's just about the worst king that ever sat on a royal throne. And she's just about one of the worst queens ever. And together they represent all that is evil and despicable. They're grasping, cruel, vindictive, cold, murderous, scheming, bloodthirsty. It's hard to find a more treacherous royal couple than Ahab and Jezebel. But it's also hard to find a more idolatrous couple. Because together they turn their backs on the worship of of Yahweh, the true God of Israel. They violate his will. They introduce and promote the cult of Baal. They murder all the prophets and priests of, of the Lord. Until only Elijah is left. And they set up a false priesthood in Israel. Truly what we see here is is nothing else but the seed of the serpent rearing its ugly head. You may remember that at the dawn of human history, God had predicted a a great long intense struggle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. You find it mentioned in Genesis 3.15. And and time and time again we see in history that the the devil pulls out all the stops in his all-consuming passion to destroy the saints and their Savior. And in the process he all too often uses evil people like Ahab and Jezebel to do his bidding. Yes, and in our text it's our daughter who also is doing their daughter, who's also doing the dirty work. She walks in the footsteps of her disgusting parents. She decides to kill all of Ahaziah's family, all of her own offspring, her grandchildren as well, all of the royal line. Quite simply, she's determined to make sure that there's not going to be one descendant of King David left. His line is to be completely and utterly obliterated. How demonic and how revolting. Yes, and also how dangerous. For think, if no one is left of David's line, then how can the Messiah ever come to Israel and to us? You know, God had promised David in 2 Samuel 7 that that one day a great son of his would sit on his throne. But if David's descendants are no more, then this promise is no more. And if David's son doesn't come, then also Abraham's son, who he is as well as who's supposed to bless the nations and us, will not come either. Then the messianic future is dead. And all is darkness. And there will never be peace on earth. And so do you begin to see at just what kind of a critical junction we are here in the history of God's people? If Asaliah succeeds, all is lost. Lost for David, lost for Israel, lost for us, and lost for the world. But, But, praise be to God, All is not lost. For what does the Lord do? He he raises up a godly kidnapper in the person of Jehoshaphat. She steps on to the stage of history and, and steals Prince Joash before he can be put to the sword. And it even says in our text what she did with him. For six long years she hid him away. And where did she hide him? Well, we're told he was hidden in the temple, in the temple of all places. And then that vast complex with many rooms, and she finds a room for him and for his nurse. That's where he lived. That's where he grew, while Asaliah reigned and ravaged the land. And meanwhile, the people, at least... The faithful remnant who were left must have must have despaired. Some people probably lost hope. David's line is gone. It's finished. And, and, and so, in a sense, are we as well. And now the Messiah is never going to come. There's nothing left to, to build on. There's nothing left to hope in. It's also dark and futile. Little do they know and realize that while they are despairing, God has been raising up a gutsy woman by the name of Jehoshua, Joshua, whom he is using to save Christmas. In other words, God is doing what he's been doing time and time again throughout the ages, raising up deliverers, rescuers, redeemers for his people, all in preparation for the coming of the greatest Redeemer of them all. But then, beloved, note as well that God is using more than just Jehoshaphat, He's also using her husband because Jehoshaba is married to a certain priest called Jehoiada. And it has to be said that Jehoiada is no couch potato either. For six long years, Jehoshaphat has been making sure that the prince is kept safe, And for six long years, Jehoiada has been making plans for the future. Finally, in the seventh year, he springs into action. He summons the commanders of the royal guard to the palace or to the temple. A secret meeting takes place in which he makes an agreement with them, and they swear an oath, and he reveals suddenly to them his great secret, namely, that a son of King Ahaziah does live. A crown prince has survived the slaughter of Athaliah. And so what next? Well, Jehoiada has the commanders divide their troops into three companies at the right time, and he signs them to various stations in the temple and the city. And thereafter, he brings out the king's son. Jehoiada introduces Joash to the people and crowns him. And then he gives him a copy of the covenant which describes both how he is to live personally and to rule nationally. And the result, well, there is once more a son of David on David's throne. God's promises to Abraham and to David are not dead after all and indeed we are beloved reminded here in a most unusual way that that God's promises God's promises never really die you know sometimes we think they do sometimes Israel thought they did as well sometimes it really starts to look as if everything is useless and hopeless and empty and lost And often in history, it even looks as if maybe the devil is one. But you know, appearances are deceiving. For even when we see nothing at all, God is working. Even when tyrants are reigning, God is busy with his own plans and preparations. You know, while Pharaoh of Egypt rules, God is raising up a Moses in the desert. And while the Philistines plunder Israel, God is cultivating a David among the sheep. And while Ahab and Jezebel are corrupting Israel, God is preserving an Elijah in the wilderness. Yes, and here, while an Athaliah is on the throne and who thinks that her throne is secure, God is growing at Joash in the temple and the same reality exists today beloved we look around us and what do we see in this world in which we live of course at the moment everything is dominated by COVID by vaccines coming by deaths and sickness and infections and hospitals and doctors and nurses and of course a lot more is happening we don't hear so much about it but we know that The world continues to live in immorality and disobedience. So many don't worship God any longer. Even in places that formerly were known for their firm Christian convictions, it seems as if things have disappeared and people have gone back into unbelief and superstition. And so the question arises, who reigns today? It looks as if the forces of evil are reigning supreme. But be assured that in spite of appearances, God is continuing to work. He's still building on his ancient promises. He's still ruling and reigning through David's great son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is truly always, always at work. And in the process, he is also something else. He is also administering justice, or he is preparing to do so. Our text says that when Queen Athaliah heard the rejoicing and the sounding of trumpets, she panicked. It says that Athaliah tore her robes and cried, treason, treason. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? That someone like her should say that. She's the epitome of all treason and all treachery. And eventually we're told the troops take hold of her, they march her out of the temple area, and they put her to death. The vengeance and the justice of the Lord finds her out and does her in. And really, if you think of it, that's always what happens. You know, it often appears as if the tyrants, the dictators, the crooks, and the terrorists of the world are the real winners and the victors. Often they have the power, the money, and the following, and everything goes their way. Why, I am sure that for quite a while after she got rid of all the members of the royal family. Queen Queen Athaliah thought so too. She probably used the time after that terrible event to, to dine on steak, to sip on fine wine, to dress to the hilt and throw pardons with abandon. After all, she is the winner, is she not? She's nothing to fear any longer, right? Just sit back on your comfortable throne, Queen Athi, and enjoy life. Enjoy your reign. But you know what she forgets, and what all tyrants forget, is that there's a day of reckoning coming for all men, for us ordinary people, but also for kings and queens and presidents and dictators and tyrants. If not... In this life, then one day in the life to come, they'll be summoned to stand before the throne of the Lamb, and then it will be justice time indeed. So, beloved, if there are days when you get kind of frustrated and restless with the slow pace of God's justice, just learn. Some patience. Realize that our Savior doesn't rule according to our plans or is bound by our deadlines or timetables. He's the great sovereign who rules wisely according to His plan. And be assured that this plan includes righteousness for the nations and justice for the peoples. Asaliah's day of reckoning comes. It comes in the form of a sword. And in actual fact, that sword is dispatched from the throne of heaven. And so, beloved, rescue, work, justice flow from the throne of God. And one final thing, so does covenantal fellowship with God's people. You know, the verses 17 to 21 tell the last part of the tale. They speak about a covenant being made between God, the king, and the people. And they speak about a commitment on the part of the people to the Lord's people, to be the Lord's people. And they also speak about a temple of Baal being torn down, and altars being destroyed and smashed, and about a priest called Matan being put to death. And finally, these verses speak about King Joash marching from temple to palace, taking a seat on the royal throne, and at last there is peace and rejoicing in the land. A new era dawns in Judah at last. But then notice it's a new era that's built on renewal and reform. First, the covenant between God, king, and people is not so much made as it is renewed. Suddenly, Israel once again remembers her roots. She recalls what she had promised long ago before Mount Sinai. She recommits herself to the covenant Lord and to her covenant father. And then along with renewal, there is reform. A concerted effort is made to cleanse the entire land of all of the idolatries that are connected to the cult of Baal. And some who read what happens take exception to the destruction described in verse 18 and ask, was this really necessary? But isn't that always the way it is? For truth to reign, evil needs to be repulsed. For God to be God, the idols have to go. For Jesus to be Lord, all other lords need to be removed from our lives. Holy devotion calls always for unholy demolition. Oh, and when we read about that happening in Judah... We may long for the day when it will also happen in our land. When will the nation of Canada turn from its increasingly materialistic, immoral, idolatrous ways? When will Reformation come to our land? When will the false religions be no more? And when will the cult of humanism and political correctness and secularism go the way of Baalism? Does it all have to wait for the dawning of a new age, a new heaven and a new earth? Or will it come sooner? Truly, we don't know, do we? But in our ignorance, we don't despair either. For we are sure and certain that our God and Father knows. And as long as he knows... That should be enough. It should be enough to keep us going, keep us praying, working, serving, celebrating. It should keep us remembering and reminiscing about what happened long ago before that first advent. Indeed, you can say, beloved God, that the most amazing things to keep the road to Bethlehem open. He even used a kidnapper. A kidnapper who rescues a prince and keeps salvation and hope alive. And now today he is using someone vastly greater. He's using his son to keep it all alive. Jesus is reigning, working, recruiting, Jesus is marching on to a new Jerusalem. And beloved, use this time of year to renew your commitment to the coming King and teach your children to do the same. For what is Christmas but the feast of the great son of David, whose line was rescued, whose crown was preserved, whose throne was kept. Truly, one day, the words of the elder in the book of Revelation will come true. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Amen.